Go beyond the headlines and deepen your understanding of the forces shaping our world today on The Political Scene, a newly updated podcast from The New Yorker. With episodes three times each week, The Political Scene accesses the sharpest minds on politics, offering insight and analysis about everything from abortion rights to the war in Ukraine. Join me, Tyler Foggett, for conversations with the most knowledgeable minds from The New Yorker that will dive deep on the most interesting political story of the week. Then, Susan Glasser, Jane Mayer, and Evan Osnos gather to hash out what's happening in Washington, D.C., with an insider's understanding of the high stakes at this perilous moment for American democracy. Plus, our editor David Remnick will provide you with insightful storytelling with a mix of interviews and profiles. That's all happening on the political scene. Make sure you're following it now, wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jason Kander. And I'm Ravi Gupta. And this is Majority 54, the podcast that helps Americans who voted for progress convince those who didn't to join our majority. Ravi, we have a guest. Tell the people about our guest. I'm excited to introduce Lindsay Jones, who's a senior writer for The Athletic covering the NFL. And she's previously written about the NFL for USA Today and the Denver Post. And she's covered everything from high school to college sports to the professional sports. She's a native of Fort Collins, Colorado, and a graduate of Emory University. Lindsay, welcome to the podcast. Thank you guys so much for having me. Well, Lindsay, we invited you on because we're at a point where, like in most things in American life, sports, and especially the NFL right now, is highly politicized. And so we wanted to dive deep this week, not just because the Olympics are going on, but because the NFL recently announced strict protocols and penalties for NFL players who are unvaccinated should they get COVID-19. Do you mind just describing a little bit about what the NFL announced last week and what the implications of that are? Sure. Yeah. So the NFL last week informed all 32 of its teams of um, what they're calling their 2021 competitive protocols as it relates to COVID. Um, so the NFL has spent months, really, the entire offseason talking about vaccinations, trying to encourage players to get vaccinated. But now that players are reporting to training camp, and as of Tuesday, all 32 teams are in camp, they really had to take it a ne- another step further and say, these are the rules under which the season is going to be played and what's going to happen if there are outbreaks within teams. And we saw this happen last year where there were outbreaks, um, COVID outbreaks within several teams. It happened with the Tennessee Titans, the Baltimore Ravens. There were other cases where, you know, the Denver Broncos, where I live, had to play a game without all of their quarterbacks. They had to have a (laughs) practice squad wide receiver play starting quarterback because of COVID protocols. So the NFL is kind of saying, look, vaccines are widely available. And if you are unvaccinated at this point and you cause an outbreak or there's an outbreak within your team because of unvaccinated players, then you could be subject to forfeit games. They're not going to go to these great lengths to reschedule games, to move games. If you remember from 2020, there were games on Tuesday nights. I believe there was a Wednesday afternoon game. You know, the NFL did everything possible last year to accommodate teams and not cancel games when there were outbreaks. And they're saying, look, we're not going to do that this year. If there are breakthrough cases, if there are incidents where vaccinated players, you know, do test positive, that's something that they'll work with. But they're basically just saying, if you don't get vaccinated, you could cost yourself and your team games. And then the one other part of this is that if games are canceled, 
if a team has to forfeit because of um, un- unvaccinated players and a COVID outbreak, players from both teams would not get paid. So there's also now some pretty significant financial incentives involved here. I could imagine then, given everything you described, we've got the health benefits of getting the vaccine, and now you have competitive and financial benefits. I'm assuming that 100% of NFL players are vaccinated now, right? (laughs) Well, not quite, although I I think the numbers are higher than you would expect. And, you know, I was doing, you know, I've been reporting on this for for months now, and I remember talking to some sources back in May when the off-season program was getting started. And by May, the vaccines were widely available. Anybody in the NFL population, whether that was players, coaches, staffs, whoever, they were eligible to get a vaccine by May. There were no none of those age restrictions, those sorts of things. And the numbers were really low. I was hearing something, you know, under 50%, maybe not even close to 50% of players at that point when um, the offseason program was starting. And here we're recording this on Wednesday afternoon, and they're at just about 87%. Um, I believe it's wow. 86.9% is what I was told from a league source Wednesday morning. So if you do the math, right now, offseason rosters stand at 90 players. So 90 players times 32 teams, it's about 28, 2,900 players. So that's about 2,500 players have received at least one dose. That doesn't mean they're all fully vaccinated yet, but they have gotten at least one dose. They are in the vaccination process. Um, And that's an increase of about 200 players since Friday. Wow. So what that tells us is that this next step that the NFL has taken, these kind of competitive balance arguments, the financial arguments... That's working. And the fact that now they're there, you know, all of these, the incentives that they told the players about throughout the offseason, you're going to have to get tested daily. You're going to have to wear your mask when when you're in the facility. You're not going to be able to travel on your bye week. You know, that stuff that all kind of seemed far off into the future. Like, okay, we'll deal with that later. We'll see where we're at when we get there. But then once you got back in the building and you're looking around and your vaccinated teammates are getting to eat lunch together in the cafeteria, they're not having to wear their masks in meetings. They can make plans to see their friends and family when they're on a preseason road trip and you're not vaccinated and you're going, I got to show up at 6 a.m. to get tested every day. I've got to wear my mask when I'm on the sidelines at practice and it's 95 degrees out. (laughs) Okay, fine. Give me my shot. So I think that's why we're now seeing, you know, a pretty significant increase. You know, I don't think they're going to get to 100%. I think that's unrealistic. There are some players who we have heard from multiple times whose Twitter accounts have been um, (laughs) interesting to follow that have made it clear that they're not going to get vaccinated. And look, there's a lot of our our neighbors, people that you know in your community that just aren't going to get vaccinated, but they're going to get significantly closer than I think the general population is. Let me lay this out for, for folks who don't follow this closely, because I think it's instructive for people who don't follow sports because it's a workplace, right? So what, Lindsay, what, I, what you just described is potentially a really important trend for for companies now that are requiring uh, vaccinations or at least incentivizing, it says that maybe that can really work. Maybe that's how we make progress. But, you know, not only the bills have stepped in this in every possible way. Yeah, the bills have been the center of this. So the general manager made comments earlier this year saying that he he would use vaccination status to determine who would actually be on the roster. And then the NFL kind of came down on him for that, it seems, and made him retract that a bit. Uh, We have a player named Cole Beasley who has been outspoken in his anti-vaccination comments. We have the girlfriend or wife of one of our players, Jordan Poyer, who's a very outspoken anti-vaxxer. One of our offensive linemen is as well. And then you have some other players who've been 
commenting back this week who are pro-vaccination. And so in many ways, it's a microcosm of American communities. Lindsay, what's your sense? And maybe you don't know a specific to the Bills, which had a strong culture leading up to this. Like, how are coaches and general managers just dealing with like this incredibly polarized political question that seems to go at the heart of, of whether they can win or lose games? Yeah, I mean, I th- the Bill's example that you gave, I think, is probably the most interesting because a lot of this is playing out publicly. And a lot of times you don't get to hear what those debates are that are going on in inside the locker rooms. And yeah, I mean, an NFL locker room, I mean, the, the players will tell you this all the time. They that one of the reasons that they love it is because they feel like it's, you know, a microcosm for society. And you're meeting people from all different sorts of backgrounds and, you know, from all over the country who grew up in different places and have different views. And, you know, but I think when it comes to the dynamics of it, coaches just don't want distractions. And, you know, I think sometimes the whole like, oh, this is a distraction thing can be really overblown. And that was certainly the case when it came to social justice protests and Colin Kaepernick. You know, Colin Kaepernick was never divisive within his own locker room. He was never a distraction within his own locker room. But this is this is different. I mean, this is something that could really cost teams games. And it's going to impact team dynamics and who makes a team and who doesn't and who's available. Because, you know, being available to do your job, whether that's, you know, you're a nurse, and you need to be able to go and do your job, or, you know, you work in a bank or whatever it is, you know, you're a teacher, and you could potentially catch COVID, and then you're not available to teach. I mean, these are major issues that we've been dealing with all around the country, right? So, you know, football, you know, availability is everything. And if you're not available because you didn't get vaccinated, and there's somebody that could be available, you know, you probably saw Ravi, you know, Emmanuel Sanders, who's one of the new Bills wide receivers. um, He posted um, on Friday, uh, an Instagram, a picture of his new vaccine card. He got his first shot on Friday, and he's a new addition to the team. And he's a guy who would be more than happy to take many of those reps and those catches away from Cole Beasley. And, you know, and I think he captioned his Instagram post availability and dependability and no time to deal with BS during the regular season. So let me let me say here real quick, because there are people listening right now going, OK, this is suddenly this is a Bill's NFL podcast. And I, and I, <laughs> Which what is my I grand say, plan. My, my, I know, I, <laughs> and that's cool. But here's what I want to say to those people so that we so that they understand why we're doing this. It is not just because the Bills have a lot at stake because they're hoping to to repeat as runners up uh, in the AFC. <laughs> but but it's also because if you think back to the beginning of this pandemic, what was it that really sent the message to the country that this thing was real? It was Rudy Gobert and the Utah Jazz, and it was the NBA saying we're in we're we're suspending the season indefinitely. That's when the country went. Oh wait, this is really quite serious, and and so my point is is that this really is a microcosm of what workplaces might be like across the country, but it is also I think an opportunity to learn what may or may not work in terms of incentive structures uh, for vaccines. So I just want to jump in right now and let the listener know like this is a political conversation for sure, and I think you know the way that the NFL, if you look at what the NFL's messaging has been around vaccinations, dating back really to you know. December and January, when we kind of all knew that vaccines were going to become widely available. I remember asking a lot of questions back in January and around the Super Bowl in February about would the NFL and other professional sports teams try to jump the line 
to try to get vaccines earlier. And they were adamant, we will not. We are going to follow all of the CDC guidelines. We're not going to rush. You know, we're going to make sure that, you know, vulnerable populations are, have vaccine, have access to the vaccines first, all of those sorts of things. And now here we are, you know, what, five or six months later, and we're, you know, talking about like begging people to get the <laughs> vaccine. And that's very much where we are in the country. Their messaging has been, you know, their, their first message was the same as I think a lot of our leaders messaging has been about the public health reasons for getting vaccinated, why it's going to keep you safe, why it's going to keep your children and your neighbors and your elderly parents and your elderly neighbors safe, why it's a the good thing to do for our society as a whole and why vaccinations will get our country back on track and over this pandemic. So people who are motivated by that, they got their vaccines first. Then they put in the individual incentives. They tried to make it very personal. And that was the things about the socialization things. Um, you know, you, you'll be able to do all of your charity events that you want to do. You can travel on your bye week. You don't have to come in for daily testing at six o'clock in the morning and wait an hour before you know if, whether or not you're going to be able to practice that day. And then once those, you know, they got past those individual incentives, and now it's when they kind of are trying to drop the hammer and they're issuing threats. And I think that's similar to what we're going to see around the country. I mean, I think we're now seeing it with some governmental organizations that are requiring their employees to be vaccinated, other employers. I mean, I know it's happening in my industry, you know, as a, as a journalist, as a sports writer, if I want to get back to doing my job as normal, I have to be vaccinated. I can't go into an NFL press box this season without showing my vaccine card. So, you know, that's just kind of where we're at right now, where it's becoming just a required part of our of our lives to get back to normal. It seems like I don't know, you know, what the chicken egg situation is here, but I agree. I'm seeing employ employers all over the country following the model that the NFL has now, which is like New York is a great example. New York government now says we're not going to force you to be vaccinated, but if you are vaccinated, you don't have to go through this rigorous testing that that's just super uncomfortable. And so like, I think if you're a new a, a employee of the city of New York, you have to get tested once a week if you're not vaccinated and not at all if you are. And so I think people are starting to, I don't know if they're being inspired by the NFL, but it, it seems like there's an, an echo of this throughout the country. Well, if, if nothing else, the NFL can make that more okay, right? Can remove sort of the, is this okay question for employers about, you know, requiring this sort of thing. Yeah. Because if there's one thing that the NFL does really well outside of making a lot of money, it's winning legal cases. And their <laughs> their legal team is robust. And this has been vetted many, many, many times through a lot of levels of you know lawyers. I expect at some point there will probably be some sort of grievances filed, um, probably around players who are cut and they believe that they have been cut because they're unvaccinated. 100%. And there probably will be a challenge here or there. And the NFL Players Association, the union that represents 3,000 or so NFL players, they'll have to be involved in that. And, you know, privately, the union has been encouraging vaccinations. They've been telling their members who call them and ask. They've been holding information sessions, all those sorts of things. But publicly, they have to say, you know, it's your choice. We're going to encourage you. And they've been trying to fight for some sort of workplace protections that would, you know, prevent teams from cutting players strictly based on vaccination status. Well, Lindsay, final question for you. You know, I was at the opening day a couple of years ago during the, the heart of the Kaepernick. I, I don't want to call it controversy because I don't think he was controversial, but the controversy that the president, I think, instigated uh, in calling attention to, to Kaepernick. That felt like the most politicized sports season I'd ever witnessed. What are we in for this year? Could this be worse? 
I don't think so. And I hope and I hope not. You know, I think that it's it's a very vocal minority at this point that is anti-vax. It's it's Cole Beasley. Concentrated constantly. in Western New York. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oddly <laughs> enough, I mean, there are pockets of players and we're going DeAndre to keep Hopkins, hearing about yeah. it. Leonard Fournette down in Tampa Bay. And there are some teams that are well, you know, are well behind that are trailing. The Washington football team is one of the teams that's on the very low end, you know, when it comes to like, I think there's no teams that are under 70% player vaccination rate right now, but there are some teams that are certainly lagging behind the rest. But, you know, that, I guess that was 20, it was 2016, 2017. 2017 was the the year that the, the former President Trump, you know, really called out Colin Kaepernick. And that was, that was tough because it was constant. And it was really that the message got so distorted. And, you know, I think maybe the messaging on vaccinations has been, it's been a little bit more clear and not quite as politicized as that. You know, I, God, I hope, I hope it doesn't become as (laughs) as big of a deal as that. I mean, it's not going to go away. It's going to be an issue that we're talking about in all of all of society, but certainly all of sports. I mean, it's happening daily here now at the Olympics, where we're getting daily updates of how many athletes have maybe tested positive. We're seeing Olympians who have trained for four years for one day, not being able to compete at, compete at the Olympics. And, you know, there's going to be players that are going to miss games in the NFL. We've seen outbreaks. We've seen breakthrough cases affecting Major League Baseball. But the hope is, is that because these vaccination rates are now steadily increasing in the NFL, that maybe there can be some carryover to other sports, um, to colleges to show how this can work. And, you know, hopefully to to the rest of society is like, here's a model. Maybe it's not completely replicable to every other you know aspect of our society, but here's a way that it at least could work in some workplaces. I would say that one misstep for the NFL and other professional sports here is that they have... I think they've leaned maybe a little bit too heavily on like that this is your personal choice and it's a personal decision side of it. And we're hearing a lot from the Cole Beasleys of the world about why they're not getting vaccinated and not enough from Patrick Mahomes about why he did get vaccinated. And you know, what those what those personal reasons were, what the public health reasons or what the competitive advantage reasons were. I don't think we've heard enough from that side of it. You know, I'd, I'd, I'd much rather hear from the guys who have talked about their their decisions to make the, the best decision for themselves and their families and their teams than the guys who are, you know, spouting the anti-vax propaganda. Yeah, the, the 87 percent. Well, let's hope that's where we're headed. Uh, less Cole Beasley, more Patrick Mahomes. Jason, you're you're right probably on. so excited. By I'm that, by enjoying that this conversation uh, so much. All right. Well, uh, well, let me end it then. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, 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 Lindsay, thank you for joining us. Uh, I'll see you on opening day uh, in Orchard Park. I'll be I'll be out there with the pandemic of ignorance that is my team right now. Um, well, maybe I'll see both of you at the AFC Championship game. It's just going to depend go. on if it's going to be in Buffalo or Kansas City. We'll see you in yeah. Kansas City. That'll be fun. Well, we hey, were, we're, we're going to forfeit a game, so I'm, I'm not feeling good about <laughs> yeah. it. Oh, no. That's right. Thank you, Lindsay. Well, thank you guys so much. Yeah, this was fun. Thank you so much for having me. Well, Jason, that was great. I I honestly uh, had Lindsay on because I expected the story to be, here's a bunch of people who are going unvaccinated in the face of every possible pressure. But it actually, I came away much more hopeful because the story, real story is, hey, incentives can work. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this enormous amount of players in the last several days have been like, all right, I'll do it, which which speaks to something else I've kind of seen out in the world, which is there are plenty of people who are unvaccinated 
not because they are passionately against the vaccine. There are plenty of people who are unvaccinated because they're young and they feel bulletproof and they're like, this thing is over, right? Because they have a, a standard American attention span in 2021, which is like, eh, this, I'm done with that news. That was 2020. And that segment of the NFL population seems to be like, oh, I guess I better go do this. Sports reveal something about our society, right? And I think uh, and it's also like one of the most public things that happens in American life. And, you know, I think like what you said, I think if if the poster and Lindsay alluded to this, if the if the poster children of vaccinations are the Patrick Mahomes of the world uh, and the Jason Kelsey's of the world, that could make a difference. You know, if they if, if we can somehow get them to speak out more. Absolutely. I mean, you know, it's kind of ironic because I remember last week we were panning. Uh, Senator Cassidy's, uh, you know, comment that somehow Biden was the wrong messenger for the vaccine, as if the president of the United States shouldn't be out there asking people to take a public health measure. But I guess not his point that he intended to make, but that if 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 figures that people respect on both sides of the aisle step up, it certainly helps. And and that you know, my Kansas City Chiefs are certainly doing that. I will say. Yeah, you guys definitely win the off season here. As sad as it makes it say, like I particularly well, like sort Kelsey. of. We st- we still have the same name. <laughs> yeah, that is so. that is trouble. Kel- I liked what your tight end said, and I think this is instructive for how to persuade people to get the vaccine. Is that he was like, I was hesitant, and now I'm not. I love those messages because it's not the holier than now. I don't even say holier than now. I think people who got the vaccine right away are not holier than now. But I would say like it is relatable to people who have one, um, like some kind of misgiving about the vaccine. Well, yeah. well, we talk about that all the time on this show, that if you want to bring people to where you are, it's very helpful to demonstrate to them that you were once where they are now. Like to to show them like, look, I'm not perfect. I'm not trying to say, I'm not judging you. I was where you are. Here's how I got to where I am and invite them to travel the same path. It's a much less judgmental, much less abrasive way to do it. So the pandemic was hard on people for many reasons, but it was also, I think, hard on people's wallets. And I think a lot of people had to sacrifice a lot just to get through it. And that means that some people had to take out debt. And that's why I'm really excited about our sponsor, Upstart, because they're a fast and easy way to pay off your debt with a personal loan, and it's all online. And so whether it's paying off credit cards, consolidating high interest debt, or funding personal expenses, over half a million people have used Upstart to get one fixed monthly payment. And what I really love is that they're all about expanding access to affordable credit. And unlike other lenders, they consider your income and your current employment to find you a smarter rate for your loan. With a five-minute online rate check, you can see your rate upfront for loans between $1,000 to $50,000. You can receive funds as fast as one business day after accepting your loan. Find out how Upstart can lower your monthly payments today when you go to upstart.com majority54. That's upstart.com slash majority54. Don't forget to use our URL to let them know that we sent you. Loan amounts will be determined based on your credit, income, and certain other information provided in your loan application. Go to upstart.com slash majority54. I love salmon. I eat a lot of salmon. Let me tell you about what my diet is sort of like. It starts out with smoked salmon on toast and usually avocado. And then by the middle of the day, I'm eating leftover baked salmon that Diana has made in the, in the day before or sometimes that I've made. So my point is having really, really quality fish 
big deal around my house. And that's why we want to tell you about our sponsor, Wild Alaskan Company. And Wild Alaskan Company is a family-run business that delivers high-quality, sustainably sourced, wild-caught seafood right to your door. And you could choose from salmon, whitefish, or a combination. And every month, there are different specials to explore. And each shipment contains premium, wild-caught, individually wrapped portions of delicious seafood that's ready to prepare and easy to cook. And right now, you can get $15 off your first box of premium seafood when you visit wildalaskancompany.com slash majority54. That's wildalaskancompany.com slash majority54 for $15 off your first box. wildalaskancompany.com slash majority54. Make sure you use our URL to let them know we sent you. All right, in This Week in Misinformation, Jason... Let's talk about the Olympics, but let's talk particularly about Simone Biles. As of this recording, uh, she has uh, dropped out of the team competition and the individual all-around competition, citing uh, her mental health. And predictably, uh, there are some members of the right who seized on this as an opportunity to attack her. Let's listen to a clip from conservative activist Charlie Kirk. So Simone Biles who's obviously a very talented gymnast, decided not to compete in the gold medal competition. Now, she probably could have just competed and just kind of checked the boxes and they would have got a gold medal. Simone Biles says, This Olympic Games, I wanted to be for myself when I came in, and I felt like I was still doing it for other people, as she cried after the team event on Tuesday. So that just, it like hurts my heart because... Doing what I love has been kind of taken away from me to please other people. Yeah, that's the point, Simone Biles. You're representing your nation, you selfless, you selfish sociopath. You kidding me? I have to go look at these four foot eleven Russian Olympi Olympians chewing on their gold medals, smirking at the Americans. I'm not okay with that. But honestly, that's where we're headed. We are raising a generation of weak people like Simone Biles. Okay, I'm going to start listening to Charlie Kirk before I work out because I'm so angry I was just going right to make that joke. I was just going to make that joke. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm so mad. I had read the quote, but I had not listened to it. And now, oh. Well, Jason, um, <sighs> what say you? Okay, look. First, let's let's get a few things straight. One, he doesn't even know what the hell he's talking about. He called it the gold medal competition. Like, it's the Olympics. They're all gold medal competitions, you little squirt. Second, he is the kind of guy, and not even the kind of guy, I've seen him do it, who uh, on June 6th every year posts some uh, like picture of Normandy and is like, you know, previous generations storm this beach and our generation gets upset when they're latte, blah, 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 insert whatever comment here. So like he is, I don't know what you call it when somebody uh, makes their bones on just shitting on their own generation, um, but never actually does anything. Like, Charlie Kirk is young enough to enlist in the military and has never done it. This is what he wants, obviously, but we can't help yeah. ourselves. I just, oh, listen, I, I just want, there's people quote tweeting him, you know, like I was looking at all this data about him. He basically is like, he, he he's provocative and he uses it to get attention. This is the playbook of the right. So we're giving him what he wants. But we cannot help ourselves, listener. I hope I hope it's okay. So you, you don't even have to send us messages. We already know we're wrong for doing this. But let's just do it anyway. Let's talk about <laughs> Charlie Kirk. So Charlie Kirk. But let's talk about Simone Biles for a second, right? Um, you're right. You're right. I, uh, 
I will listen to him before I work out, but you're right. We should not be talking. About yeah, and that was a totally independent I thought I had with no input from our producer <laughs> yeah, whatsoever. Grace definitely didn't uh, break in a second ago and yeah. then later and later cut out the part where she chastises us not to yeah. give Charlie Kirk what he wants. So um, I'm the bigger person just intrinsically. It's innate in me, Jason. So, so Simone Biles is obviously a super impressive person and uh, she's clearly dealing with something. And I think it's it's important to name at the outset that we don't know fully or even like we don't even have uh, like a sliver of understanding of what she's going through. Uh, and so I think it's important for everybody, including her supporters, not to, to get too much in her head, but instead use this as an opportunity to talk about the larger issues of mental health and the pressures and also just like what we're doing to some of our young people in this country and the expectations we put on them and the weight we put on their shoulders generally. But Jason, you are somebody who has talked publicly about struggles with mental health and and you're writing an incredible book that details your journey. What does this uh, incident kind of push you to think about? To me, it is a reminder of why it is important when people in public life uh, address their mental health. And it's not just because they set an example. I mean, that's obviously a big part of it. But I think the reason that it's such a powerful example is because people wrongfully assume that with fame comes all sorts of other good things, that automatically with fame comes money, comes self-actualization, comes happiness. Frankly, people just conflate the two. I mean, it's it's why everybody uh, you know says things like, well, how hard could it really be about people like Simone Biles, about anybody uh, in the NFL who stands up for social justice, right? Well, okay, let's look at Simone Biles' situation, right? I believe that she is the only person still competing who is a survivor of the Larry Nasser abuse. The, yeah, the, and if she's not the only one, she certainly is one, right? Like, yeah, yeah. And so that's there. There's trauma there, like quite literal trauma there. On top of that, she's 24 years old. This is what, in order to do this at this level, this is what she has done every day for a very long time. And now here she is doing it on the world stage, and something happened on the vault. Something happened where any and a lot of gymnasts went on who actually understand the sport, I can't claim I do, and said, if that had been anybody else of lesser skill, that would have been a serious injury. One said, you know, if that had happened to me, I would have been paralyzed. Like, And they didn't mean like felt paralyzed. They mean right. landed in such a way that they would have been paralyzed. So and then Simone Biles ends up in the situation where from what I can tell, and I don't, I'm not trying to diagnose anybody she had some semblance of what can only be described as like some level of panic attack, right? And now you're saying, if you're one of these people who, like Charlie Kirk there, who was like, she could just, you know, walk into a gold medal, what you're saying is two things. One, she should have gone out there and risked possible paralysis. Like, she's flying through the air. She's 30 feet above the ground. And if she does it wrong, if there's even one moment where she does it incorrectly, it's drastic consequences for the rest of her life, right? Right, right? That's one consideration, right? The second consideration is she clearly made the determination that even though, yes, she is the most skilled gymnast on the planet, that in that moment, given what was going on with her, she was the least skilled gymnast on her team. And so for all these people who look at it and say, uh, well, she was letting her team down, all that. No, she was saying, I'm not going to power through it and risk my team not getting a medal at all because I'm the least skilled gymnast at this moment on my team. I'm not going to put my ego first. I'm going to make sure that they can at least go after a medal. So now put all that aside and let's assume 
that none of that is the case. And instead, Simone Biles said to herself, you know what? Uh, I've won gold medals for my country before. I'm 24 years old. I've represented my country in such a way that I'm a shining example of the United States. And America and I are square. Like That's personally how I tend to think about this now. America and I are square. And if I'm going to step back and not go through this, frankly, if Simone Biles decided right then, I'm going to retire right now, and she like got a bucket of popcorn and watched the rest of the competition... Why would that make me mad? Like, <laughs> what business do I have being angry about that? Right. And we celebrate that all over sports. Michael Jordan walked away. Uh, it was almost poetic. And then when he came back, we celebrated that. When bands decide to break up, like, it's just a thing. Like, people, we in life accept that people uh, can either lose their passion, decide for one reason or another they don't want to do it, or just can't do it. Right. And I think in her circumstance, she explained herself pretty clearly as related to the group competition. Like you said, she said at that moment, she was a competitive hindrance to her teammates. So this idea that she's like the, the, the term sociopath really gets me here. Such a weird term to use. And it seems so oddly unfitting. And then I thought about, well, and this is petty, but like, what, what is Charlie Kirk doing? Like, he's a podcaster. You and I do this every Wednesday, and we take our craft seriously, listeners. But if we didn't, we would sound like Charlie Kirk. And honestly, like, I could drink a half bottle of vodka and get on this thing and sound like him. There's no, there's not an art form. <laughs> like, Simone Biles is like the most finely tuned gymnast in world history. And like, what it takes to do what she does every day is like, it, to call what she does a profession and what he does a profession or even what we do a profession, it's like these are like two wildly different things that he will never relate to, that you and I won't relate to. It's just like a she is at a whole different level, you know? She doesn't owe us anything. That's the thing. Like, she doesn't owe us. And, and right. there are probably so many people uh, today going into work and talking a bunch of smack about the top gymnast in the world owes me a gold medal in a thing that I care about for 20 minutes every four years and during that 20 minutes have very strong opinions on. Like, that's ridiculous. And finally, I just like to see Charlie Kirk try and stay on the rings for like three seconds. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I think there is a there's a little bit of a trend here in, in who Charlie Kirk decides to attack. You know, this is a guy who got rejected from West Point and then blamed it on a woman of color for the seat and then stated he knew that that person's test scores were inferior and then in three different interviews gave three different explanations for that comment first he said it was sarcastic then he said he was repeating something he was told and then <laughs> claimed like most trump supporters on anything claimed he never said it at all and you know he's the he's the kind of guy who you know hasn't shown a lot of courage and fortitude in his life you know he he tweeted originally about the insurrection bragging how he was bringing all these people encouraging all these people to take buses to the capitol and then when things went sideways he deleted that tweet and so, you know, this is not the best and brightest America has to offer. And I'm almost embarrassed that we spent time on him, but it was just, it was too much to, to let go by, Jason. So I hope our listeners will forgive us for that. But to be fair, he represents a large part of the population that chooses to view itself as resilient and tough and, re and, and reinforces that, I that identity, that narrative about themselves by attacking people like Simone Biles. So, so... Charlie Kirk fuels the path, fuels the habit of people who say, I tell myself that I'm strong and I prove it to myself by seizing on any perceived weakness of uh, objectively strong people. Yeah, I say um, put mental health first because 
if you don't, then you're not going to enjoy your sport and you're not going to succeed as much as you want to. So it's okay sometimes to even sit out the big competitions to focus on yourself because it shows how strong of a competitor and person that you really are. On the subject of mental health, uh, this is a great time to remind you about our sponsor, BetterHelp. BetterHelp is not self-help. It's not a crisis line. It's professional counseling done securely online. So if something is interfering with your happiness, and let's be honest, for all of us, something is, BetterHelp can assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist in under 48 hours. You can send messages to your counselor at any time. You can schedule regular phone or video sessions. It's more affordable than traditional therapy, and financial aid is available. They have licensed professionals trained in any issue that you may want to address, from anxiety and depression to relationships and self-esteem. Anything you share is confidential. BetterHelp is convenient, professional, and affordable. We want you to start living a happier life today. As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor at betterhelp.com m54. Join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com m54. For grabbing ore this week, Ravi, let's talk about that study that you found. There's a wider epidemic, I think, of unhappiness and depression, for the spectrum of unhappiness to full-blown depression going on in our country. And there was actually a study, it's the Survey Center on American Life put out a study this week that basically shows that Americans have fewer friends than ever before. Uh, and the pandemic uh, predictably accelerated that trend. And the reason why I mention that is because, you know, Simone Biles is a very high profile example of somebody who, uh, who's struggling uh, in her journey. But it seems like in our country that we have a growing depression and just disconnectedness that seems relevant to our politics, right? Like if people are disconnected and they have fewer friends, they're going to be spending more time in the rabbit holes of the internet and seeking some kind of connection there. And maybe if that's true, Jason, the, the solution lies somewhere in that, in our connections. Well, I think a lack of real friendships is a huge part of our cultural problem. And it goes back to, without going down the rabbit hole, something I've talked about on here before, and that's my personal view that there's a great need for some version of mandatory service to force people to build relationships with people who are not like them. Um, but yeah, like last weekend, I had my guys that I grew up with since the age of four, all of us were together for all of us as a group together for the first time in a decade. And it was incredible for my mental health. Like we had a slumber party. We stayed up and played cards. Like I mean, Slumber was, party. Yeah. For legit. Like wow. we planned it. We were like, we're all going to stay over at, at uh, my brother Mel's house. And like, so. Did you guys just stay up talking? That's what I remember uh -huh. slumber parties. It's just like, I remember it being like 5 a.m. And you're like, oh my God, I've just been having a conversation. Since playing, playing poker and telling stories. And yeah, absolutely. And uh, nobody looking at their phones or anything. And yeah, that's a missing part of American life. Uh, and I, def I definitely think it's been accentuated by by the pandemic. And I think it drives people to find the connection elsewhere. I think it, I think it can drive people to find the connection to so many distant places that they can find themselves, you know, in DC on January 6th, frankly. Right. And I think like, I think we're so accustomed to sh like short-term like thinking, right? That there's there's one tweet or Facebook post that we're going to write to to convince somebody to change their beliefs. But I, more and more, I'm starting to think it's, it's, it's going to be measured in years, not minutes or even hours or days. And that in order to, to, 
to build a common vision for this country and to to talk people down from extremism, it takes like a truly deep, enduring connection, uh, almost like a permanent connection. You know, we talk about sort of unconditional love and like the power of that to say like, I am, I'm not your enemy. Like, and when I say, when I deliver hard truths to you, you can trust that I'm going to still be here no matter where you come out on it, I think is, is, is needed, I think, for, for some people to, to change their beliefs and to walk away from some of these toxic communities. Yeah. I mean, that's really what this show is all about, right? Which is the fact that if you really want to change people's minds on these issues, you have to leverage the credibility you have in these relationships. And that means you can't give up on these relationships. It means you've, you've actually got to work to make them stronger. And in an odd way, building and keeping those friendships with people you disagree with is the everyday patriotism that you can be a part of. So uh, for Grab and Or, think about what are those relationships in your life? The, the relationships with the people who uh, politically you'd like to see them come around, the relationships with people who, you, you know, you're not sure whether they've gotten the vaccine, gotten around to it, where they're at on it, whatever that is, uh, think about those relationships. Think about whether or not those are people that you want to maintain that relationship with. Put aside the differences you have, right? Like if that's somebody who absent those differences, you absolutely would want to maintain that relationship, then deepen that relationship and do your duty and have those conversations with them. In fact, doing that, if done correctly and done personally and with warmth, should deepen those relationships. All right, if there's something that we haven't talked about uh, that you think we should talk about, and there probably is, you can leave us a voicemail to let us know. It's 508-687-2589, 508-687-2589. You can follow everything we're up to on social media. I'm at Jason Kander on Instagram and Twitter. Lots of good baseball content there this week. There's some good, there's some good Robbie photos. There's a, there's a photo of like, I don't know where it was taken from, but it's like out a window and it's Ravi like pontificating about New York. It's a good one. So anyway, that's at Ravi M. Gupta on Twitter and Instagram. Our show is at Majority54 on Twitter. Remember, we all have a platform. Make sure to use yours today. Majority 54 is a Wonder Media Network production. It's produced by Grace Lynch and Edie Allard. Theme music provided by Kemet Coleman. And special thanks to Diana Kander. What happened with Tebow? Did he make it this far yet? He's, he's still there. Yeah. I, I heard he got... I heard he like caught some passes from Trevor Lawrence today. I not that you need my take on on Tebow, but everybody <laughs> loves to hate, hate on Tebow. The dude likes to play sports. I don't know what people's problem is. I he's understand. like addicted. He's like addicted to playing sports. Yeah, he's it's, just like it's fun and like it's, that being a professional athlete. I have no problem. Is, I have no problem with Tebow. Yeah. The the guy went and took his lumps in minor league baseball. He didn't ask for special treatment. He didn't, yeah. you know, like. Mm-mm, I'm I'm. I'm a Tebow fan. I I, I think it's. I <laughs> hope he makes good it. Post, this is a good postscript. This is a good postscript. Yeah. Hi, listeners. It's Robbie with a question for you. What if instead of being on the brink of disaster, we're on the cusp of a better world? For that answer, I recommend listening to the What Could Go Right podcast. Each week, Progress Network founders Zachary Carabell and Executive Director Emma Varva Lucas dive into the biggest news and most pressing topics of our time, from elections to climate change, and make the case for a brighter future with guests like Harvard professor Arthur C. Brooks and California State Senator Robert Hertzberg. Progress is on the way. Find out on What Could Go Right, available wherever you get your podcasts.